This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. The World Market Watch is brought to you by CMB Preferred. BFM 89.9 is Thursday, the 12th of January, and it has just gone past 7.05 in the morning. You're listening to Chong Jensen, and I'm Wong Xiaoning. Now, in about 30 minutes, we'll be speaking to Daniel Ives, Managing Director at Wetbush Securities, for his wrap-up on CES, which is the biggest electronic show that happened over the weekend in Las Vegas. But in the meantime, let's recap how global markets closed yesterday. U.S. markets, they ended up ahead of the CPI report due out later today. The Dow was up 0.8%. The S&P 500, it was up 1.3%. Nasdaq was up 1.8%. It was the fourth consecutive day of gains. In Asian markets, the Nikkei was up 1%. Hang Seng up 0.5%. Shanghai Composite, it was down by 0.2%. The Straits Times Index, it was up by 0.3%. And the FBM KLCI, it was up by 0.2%. So for more on where international markets are heading, we speak to Vishnu Varatan. He is the Head of Economics and Research at Mizuho Bank. Good morning, Vishnu. Now, let's start with this uh, CPI number in the US that comes out later tonight. I think the focus will, of course, be on core CPI and the consensus is 5.7%. But what are your expectations? Would it come in lower than expected? And does this, what, does then, what does this then mean for rates? Good morning, Shawning. Uh, uh on, on our part, we think you know uh, that inflation, as markets expect, will continue to subside uh, gently, uh, and and I think that is exactly what's reinforcing markets' expectations that they are at peak rates, uh, and and so uh, the you know the consequent uh, lift in, in equities coming through as they are looking at relief from uh, the the unabated Fed tightening we've seen. Uh, you are absolutely right that they are going to perhaps look past the headline, which has been disproportionately, um, you know, uh, subdued by uh, the, the impact of, of fuel prices as the, the disinflation from fuel comes through. But even within core, I think there's going to be a disconnect between markets and the Fed. Uh, markets are going to just focus on the core inflation to see that, you know, core inflation continues to uh, subside. Uh, but here's the problem. I think the Fed is looking at a, a very specific component of that uh, as Fed Chair uh, Jay Powell alluded to, he sees three layers of inflation. The one that he's most concerned about is the innermost core inflation, which excludes core goods. It even excludes rentals because he expects rentals will start to uh, peak and subside by the middle of this year. Whereas it's the core services without rentals that's worrying him because this is what is related to the wage price spiral. That aspect could continue to be very sticky, hence you know, continuing to see uh, messaging from the Fed that's more hawkish than what markets are interpreting. And, and I think that will continue to give rise to potential for volatility in yields, uh, in equities, and even in the uh, exchange rates. And Vishnu, the Fed has cautioned against unwarranted easing in financial conditions, but judging by the equity and the currency markets, investors seem to be shrugging this off. How would you explain the divergence or the disconnect between what was said and what we're actually seeing in financial markets? You're right, Jensen. You're absolutely right. I, I think the wording from the Fed was not ambiguous. So it's not that markets overlooked it uh, and, and they did not find uh, catch it. They, they certainly caught it, but Here's where it boils down to the markets uh, suggesting that they are calling out the Fed's bluff. So the, the markets are 
taking the view that if inflation continues to subside and you do see soft patches appearing here and there and recession risks rise, the market's bet is that the Fed will pause quickly and perhaps even reverse by the second half of this year, reverse the hikes. So markets are just taking the bet uh, on a different view of the data uh, outcomes as well as the uh, growth uh, outlook outcomes. Whereas the Fed is saying, uh, no, we are actually looking at inflation very seriously. This is uh, quite a different beast to what you're used to. Uh, and, and this is where I, I think it, it's, uh, the, the jury is out there. No one's sure for sure, uh, can tell anything for sure, but uh, I think it will boil down to how quickly the Fed blinks. And, and our suspicion is that the Fed may not blink so quickly. Uh, they may hold on, even if they were to pause by the middle of this year, they may hold on to high rates. And that's where you could see in Q3 some volatility kicking up in the markets if there's a disappointment uh, with the Fed's uh, lack of dovish reaction. Yeah, for sure. Jerome Powell has that poker face, right? Very hard to read. <laughs> but uh, let's talk about one of your written commentaries uh, where you mentioned that stickier emerging markets Asian inflation is not a risk to be dismissed. Uh, what do you mean by that? And what will happen to Asian economies if that risk is ignored? Well, I, I think, you know, for, for our part in Asia, uh, because we had such an unusual late 2021, even early 22, where, uh, you know, inflation in Asia was much lower than it was in the West, especially the US, um, there is a sense that, you know, inflation is in, under better control in Asia, whereas the real risks to inflation come from volatility in food and energy prices, which... Asia is a lot more, uh, you know, vulnerable to, and there can also be second round effects coming through. So there's a certain stickiness around inflation that I think uh, that we could be underestimating, especially on a relative basis. As, as US inflation continues to decline, and if Asia remains sticky, then the real returns in Asia starts looking less attractive. And at a time when rates in the US are high, that may lead to capital outflow risks as well. And, and so that's really something that we cannot afford to shrug off. Uh, and that would then lead to a higher risk, uh, you know, risk premium and, and a risk repricing in Asia. So if, if these conditions come to be, then that's certainly a fairly significant risk that we shouldn't overlook. And Vishnu, um, in terms of uh, credit spreads, why would you say that the wider credit spreads in this region are a bigger concern now? We took, I mean, we took a look at the credit spreads and found that actually credit spreads uh, you know, uh, in, in Asia versus the U.S., have continued to diminish uh, across the year. Uh, and it's now uh, considered to be exceptionally low, lower than the averages that we're used to. So all the higher yields we've been seeing last year is really the risk-free rate effect. In other words, it's the, it's the parallel move with the US yields, whereas it's not reflecting higher risk premium. And I think that's something that, that's sort of an elephant in the room, if, if, you, if you must, because if, if uh, growth conditions deteriorate, and the high interest in US keeps funds out of Asia or worse, pools funds out of Asia, then there's certainly going to be a risk repricing. At the very least, some kind of reversion towards higher risk premiums uh, that we're used to. So that, 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 that adjustment process uh, may be quite uh, disruptive, if not painful. Okay, maybe we're already, we already seeing that in Malaysia because we've recorded four straight months of foreign portfolio outflows, most coming out uh, from debt instruments like MGS. So what do you think is happening in our local debt market and what's going to happen for the rest of the year? I, I, my suspicion is that there, I mean, depending on exactly where the, the outflows originated from, if, if it's from an international fund 
uh, holding or e even for that matter, you know, a large fund house. This could be a, a clearly a case of reallocation to so-called, uh, and, and I, I use that term very strongly here, the so-called uh, risk-free asset that US treasuries are. It's a totally different argument whether they are or not. Uh, but uh, and, and so there is a sense that uh, you can get higher yields or, 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 or you know, comparable yields for taking on less risk. And, and hence, there's been a portfolio rebalancing that's led to uh, some funds moving out. And that's part of the adjustment process of higher risk premiums uh, that will be required to keep funds in. And, and that's especially when U.S. inflation continues to decline because then the real returns out of U.S. yields will start looking more attractive. Uh, there's also an element of the exchange rate moves. Uh, if there's a higher volatility in, in AM Asia with uh, uh, the, the dollar being able to retain better stability, that could also add to the allure. But now that's too early to tell because there's also uh, some sense that the dollar will continue to decline. So there are many moving parts here. But for sure, we cannot ignore uh, the fact that uh, risk-free returns are very attractive in the US. So you don't need to go down the credit curve. You can just go out for uh, returns uh, even at the short end of the curve. So even uh, uh, short-term bets in the two-year yields look very attractive for uh, investors. All right, thank you for your time. That was Vishnu Varathan. He is the Head of Economics and Strategy at Mizuho Bank, um, giving us his views in terms of what the Fed might do with this CPI number. Yeah, I guess what was interesting for me was the disconnect between the Fed language and how markets are reacting and how we mentioned that the markets are really calling the Fed's bluff. I mean, the, the Fed was never right in the first place. They call inflation transitory. But, but uh, isn't the saying, don't bet against them? Yeah, the, the Fed leads markets, right? Oh, yeah, I, so never bet against the central bank, right? You will lose. Isn't that the theory? So let's just see how long the market wants to bet against the Fed. Unless, of course, the Fed just says, OK, we're happy with the terminal rate of 5, 5.2%, because then it's not far off. But what happens if the terminal rate is 57 or 6 Carnage. Carnage on Wall Street, which at the moment, Nasdaq up 4%, 4.4% on the year-to-date basis. S&P 500 up 3.39%. It's actually done really well in the last few days yeah. of trading. Quite a good start to the year for sure. I don't know whether it's just portfolio reshuffling or real uh, exuberance. But let's talk about a stock that, of course, has caught our eye the, you know, for quite a lot of 2022, which is Tesla. So there's news coming out of uh, Bloomberg that says that Tesla is close to a preliminary deal to set up a factory in Indonesia, our neighbours down south, as the EV market looks to capitalise on its reserves of key battery metals. So the source also said that the plant would produce as many as 1 million cars a year in line with Tesla's ambitions for all its factories globally to eventually reach that capacity. So the discussions will include plans for multiple facilities in Indonesia serving different functions, including production and supply chain. So Indonesia has long quoted Tesla with President Jokowi visiting Mars in May of last year, and they actually struck a $5 billion deal for a nickel supply agreement with the car maker in August. And in an interview that month with Bloomberg, I think Jokowi said he wanted Tesla to make electric cars in the country and not just batteries. So this would be Tesla's third plant outside its home base in US, um, so joining facilities in Shanghai and also in Berlin. 
Well, they look at uh, Indonesia as a gateway, right, to Southeast Asia's 675 million consumers. But is it going to be an easy market for Tesla to penetrate when basically, you know, our standard of living is is lower than that of the US and we know their cars aren't cheap. But it'll be interesting to see whether they can make strides. And I suppose their, their argument is to just capture maybe the top 1, 10, 1 to 5% of each market. But Tesla at the moment, as we know last year, terrible down, what, close to 70% on a year, last year for 2022. This year, flat at the moment, share price, 27 buys, 14 holes, 5 sells, consensus target price for this stock, 214 US dollars. This, at regular market hours, the stock was actually up 4 ringgit, uh, sorry, 4 ringgit, 4 US dollars and 37 cents, 123 US dollars and 22 cents. Uh, I don't know, are you a buyer of Tesla? Do you think the bottom has been reached or is it everybody going to be watching what Elon Musk is up to and whether he's paying attention to his most valuable asset? Yeah, I guess for Tesla, it gets a bit complicated because I, I guess besides the fundamentals, you have to look at the Elon Musk factor and where he de- dedicates his time. Is it Twitter? Is it SpaceX? Is it Tesla? So that makes the equation a little bit more difficult for me. And now we're going to follow up with Daniel Ives when we speak to him at 7.30. He's the Managing Director of Wet Bush Securities. He's going to be talking to us about the Consumer Electronics Show. And the reason why we might be asking him questions is because there were a lot of electric vehicles um, featured in Las Vegas over the weekend. But up next, we're going to cover the top stories in the newspapers and portals this morning. Stay tuned for that. BFM 89.9. The World Market Watch is brought to you by CIMB Preferred. Moving forward with you. Visit cimbpreferred.com.my for their preferential services beyond banking. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.